Good morning, everybody. Hope everybody is well. Good to see you. Thomas got to welcome you earlier, so now it's my turn. Glad that you are with us. Let's jump right in to the series we started last week, uh, talking about God is good. Now, one of the things that is very true about you and I as human beings is that when life gets tough, oftentimes we start with the question, is God good because we allow the circumstances that are in our life to shape how we ultimately think God is or how we feel uh, about the goodness of God or the lack of the goodness of God. We let our circumstances shape that, but, but what do we glean from the Bible? What do we take from Scripture that help us understand uh, whether or not God is ultimately Good. Now, one of the things that we talked about last week was uh, what is good. That's how we started the series last week, and we talked about that good is something that is morally excellent, virtuous, righteous, pious. You know, we talk about being good people, being moral people. Uh, you know, some of you that uh, when you became teenagers and started getting time on your own, you know, your parents would say, now you be good now, you know, when you were going out with your buddies or your friends on Friday or Saturday night. But then also good is a satisfactory in quality, quantity, or degree. You know, the food was good. The vacation was good. The show was good. You know, we kind of use that as a descriptive term, but that falls short of us really understanding how deep the goodness of God actually runs. Now, good is a descriptive term that we find time and time again throughout the Bible. God has been defined, described, characterized that way time and time again. Yet, whether or not we believe God is good shapes how we live and how we respond to what happens in life. For example, if you are struggling with this belief that God is ultimately good, then your response to challenges and trials and hardships will be in direct reflection of whether or not you think God is good. If you think God is good, then you look for the good, you try to find the good, you try to, you try to find what good can come out of what you're going through. If you don't believe God is good, then you're angry with God, God is the one that you blame, God is the one that's the problem, God is the one that may ultimately be the source of your hardship. So us having an understanding and a belief of whether or not God is good is vitally important to how we respond to things in life. And then we went to the Genesis narrative, the creation narrative, where uh, it says in verse 3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, that he separated light from darkness. And we see this throughout the creation narrative that God says it is good, it was good. One instance it says very good. And what we learned as we looked at that word good is that how do we, how do we look at creation and say it's good when it is like something from nothing? 
when, when the, the, the majesty of the heavens and the earth, the universe, the earth, the mountains, the valleys, the oceans, how do we just say, okay, yeah, it was good? We have to go all the way back to the Hebrew and have an understanding of how the Hebrews looked at this word called tov, T-O-V, that, that is the Hebrew word that translates good. And we got this understanding that tov isn't a descriptive word referring to quality, but rather function. So when God said, when he created light, that it was good, it means light was doing what light was supposed to do. It brings light into the dark places. It was separating darkness from light. And so every aspect of creation was good, because it was functioning as God intended it to function. So because it was doing what it was supposed to do, it was good. So then we go over into chapter 2. He creates Adam. He creates Eve. He gives them the framework by which they are to live in the garden. He says, don't eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil and yet... That's exactly what they did. And at that point, the way God meant for creation to function was forever altered. No longer could we say the world is good because the world is now cursed because of the original sin of Adam and Eve. And why am I rehashing this? Why is this important? Because we cannot get away from the fact that what God created as good, we turned upside down because of the fall. And so there is nothing now in creation that we can say is good because it's not functioning as it was intended. The reason there is death, the reason there is disaster, the reason there is destruction, the reason there is decay is because the world is now groaning, as Paul puts it in Romans, under the curse of the fall. Just in the last couple of weeks, we have had two just uh, undescribable tragedies uh, in, in Stanley County. And we look at those things and we're like, there's no way that what has happened is good because the world is not functioning as it was functioning. But does that mean God is no longer good? Does that mean God himself is not good? Scripture tells us a much different story paints a much different picture. And what we have to be able to do to understand the, the evil and the hardship of this world and that there is a good God, and we have to learn to hold those intention with each other. One of the things that you'll hear me say from time to time is that um, the American mindset... Uh, or, or should I say the Western civilization, but especially the American mindset, does not live in tension very well. We want everything to be resolved. We want it to either be hot or cold, black or white, right or wrong, top or bottom. So if God is good, then everything has to be good. So when everything isn't good, what do we do with that? 
That's where tension has to be held in its proper place between the, 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 the destruction that we see in the world, yet this, this message time and time again from God's Word that He is ultimately good. And today what I want to talk about is that if God is good and, and, we can, and, and we can agree that God is good, then what begins to happen is that we become pursued by goodness. Now, something pursue means that if something is coming after you, something is, is chasing after you, you know, and like sometimes if you're out in the yard and, and your lawnmower runs over that yellow jacket's nest, you are pursued, right? You know, um, uh, I, I, you, know you, you hear me mention our, our dogs a lot, our younger one, you know, Chase. Like, he's just got so much energy. And so if I go out in the yard, he pursues me. He comes after me. Like, he wants to be where I am. So he, he comes after me. We're going to go to a verse of Scripture that's in a very familiar psalm to a lot of you. It's very familiar. For some of you, it may not be, and that's okay. I'm going to give you a little bit of a background, a little bit of context. And as I mention this psalm, you're going to know exactly, some of you are going to know exactly which one I'm talking about before we get there, because this psalm is often read at funeral services and burials, and, and for some reason, this is the psalm that, that people want to have read, and they print it in the funeral bulletins, and they, they recite it at the graveside, and they read it together as a part of a funeral service. And, and the 23rd psalm is, is one of those that people look to when death has visited. Uh, they want to look to those words and find comfort, and, and, and there's a lot of reasons why we find comfort in the 23rd Psalm. But one of the things that I want to say before I read this verse out of the 23rd Psalm is that the 23rd Psalm is not about death. It's about living, how we live, and who we live our lives under, or the leadership under, who we live our lives under following, if you will. And right out of the gate, the first thing that David says is that the Lord is my shepherd. Now, if you don't know a lot about David of the Old Testament, before David was ever the second king of the kingdom of Israel, he was a shepherd. That was his trained profession. That's the kind of family he grew up in. He spent his early years, he spent more time around sheep than he did with people. And so at whatever point of David's life, he is, he is writing this. He's looking back on this time uh, that, that he was a shepherd, that he was in the fields, that he was watching over the flock after flock after flock. And then he remembers the time that he's anointed as the next king, but then the current king, Saul, isn't dead yet. And Saul becomes um, enraged with jealousy and wants David dead. And David spends years uh, in the wilderness running for his life, and he remembers that God is a shepherd and then he's the king and even though David made a lot of mistakes as king he still sees the faithfulness of God and so he, he thinks back over everything that he's been through and he says the Lord is my shepherd hundreds of years before Jesus came to earth 
David says the Lord is my shepherd. But then we can go back to the words that we uh, looked at last week when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. So Jesus is, is equating his work as the Messiah to that of a shepherd. And I want you to think about that as we, as, as we get to know a little bit of details about what it means to herd sheep. Because for a large majority in this room, you don't know what a shepherd does. You've had no reason to know what a shepherd does. Maybe some of you have been around uh, a shepherd. Maybe some of you have been around sheep. So some of this is going to, it's going to click. It's going to make sense. For some of you, it's just like, I have no idea what a shepherd does. I saw somebody shave a sheep when I was in kindergarten once. Right? You know, you remember those kind of field trips. But, but there's, there's, there's a beauty about the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep that is vitally important for our understanding of the goodness of God and how goodness pursues us. Because here's what the psalm writer says. Here's what David says. Surely your goodness and unfailing love. Now, some of your translations say mercy. And, and that's okay, that's, that's, that's not a bad translation. Uh, what the New Living Translation did is just try to put that into a little bit more of, of, of how we can understand God's mercy. It's an unfailing love will pursue me. How many days? All the days of my life. So here's David talking about the Lord being a shepherd. He goes through these other verses, and I'm not going to unpack those for the sake of time. But he gets to verse 6 and he says, Surely goodness... And unfailing love will pursue me, come after me, is trailing behind me, is trying to catch up to me. And we need to think about that as it relates to God's goodness. Because another way that we can look at this Hebrew word tov, T-O-V, is that for something to be good, it must be beneficial. Now think about that for a second. If something is good, it, it must bring benefit, right? It must bring benefit. Like some of the products that you buy, you see them being beneficial or you wouldn't buy them, right? Well, hopefully not. There's certain aspects of our relationships where we should be mutually beneficial to each other. That's what helps make a good relationship. There's mutual benefit for each other. If it ever becomes one-sided or one is using the other one for their own gain, we can say that is not a good relationship. So for something to be good in the Hebrew understanding is not only must it be functional, but it must be beneficial. Not just functional, but beneficial. So what is it about God's goodness is beneficial? That's what we're going to unpack. One other thing that I want to mention, when he says that surely goodness and mercy or unfailing love, meaning a covenant love, meaning a contractual, not necessarily in a wooden legal contract, but a covenant is a relationship uh, between two parties. And God always honors his part of the relationship. 
In the Old Testament, it was a covenant between God and the Hebrew people. In the New Testament, it's between us and Jesus as our Messiah, as our Savior. And time and time again, God always uh, honors his part of the relationship. He is a savior. He is a provider. He is a supplier. He is a bringer of good. Whether or not we realize that good, whether or not we realize that salvation doesn't have anything to do at that point with God. It has to do with you and I. Do we embrace Jesus as our Savior? Do we seek the, the beneficial good that he can bring in that covenant relationship. But four things that I want to try to answer from this question, how do we realize the beneficial goodness of God? Because if, if, if David is saying that goodness is pursuing us, goodness is after us, goodness is coming for us, how do we live into that goodness? How do we allow it to catch us if, we, if you will? Here's the first thing. If we're going to realize the beneficial goodness of God, we have to listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd. We have to listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd. Now, you may not know this, but a flock, a herd of sheep, did I just say a flock? <laughs> I did, didn't I? A herd of sheep, over time, will learn the voice of their shepherd. So let's just say you're a shepherd. You've spent time with this flock, you know, this flock herd, okay, whatever. This bunch of, don't take me to English class this week, please. Um, you, you've got this, this herd that, that you have been watching after. And let's say you've got three, four acres that are, that are fenced in, and they got three or four acres that they can roam around on, and you get up early one morning, and they're nowhere near the gate by your, by your house. You can go to that gate and start to call out to your sheep. They will recognize your voice and start to come to you because they know the voice of their shepherd. It's pretty remarkable when you think about it. But you could take a stranger who's never been with those sheep and start calling out to those sheep. They're not going to pay you any attention. They're not going to come because it's not the voice of the shepherd. And this is incredibly powerful when you think about what Jesus says in John chapter 10 when he says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. So now here's Jesus carrying on that same idea using that same metaphor as, as, as the shepherd. And he says, The sheep listen to my voice. You don't need me to tell you this. We are inundated by static, by noise, by chaos every single day. Somebody, if somebody were to ask me, what is one thing you would like to see change in the world right now? I don't, I don't think I'm a person that asks for a lot. But here's one thing I, I would like our government to address is televisions at gas pumps. 
I know that took you a second, didn't it? Yeah, see, it's like, wow, he's really going to drop something here. No, I don't want much. I just want to be able to get out and pump my gas in peace without this loud television blaring in my ear and wanting me to pay attention to it. That just shows you how we have allowed ourselves to be inundated by noise and chaos everywhere we go. And when we are constantly inundated by noise and static, how do we know which voice we're hearing? When something says to you, this is the path that you should take, how do you know which voice it is? When something says, this is the decision that you should make, how do you know whose voice that is? There's a reason why the scriptures say that the voice of God is still and small. Still and small. And yet, some of us can't go 10 seconds without having to turn on music, watch a video, talk to somebody, have some kind of, of auditory stimulation because we've gotten so conditioned to having it that we don't know how to sit in quiet. It's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge. Do we really know which voice we're hearing? If, if, without carving out just a little bit of time to, to, to shut off the music, to shut off the videos, to shut off social media, to shut off those things that are constantly giving us uh, visual and, 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 and oral stimulation, how do we know that we're really hearing the voice of God? It takes time. It takes cultivation. Think about the sheep. You know, the Bible uh, equals us to being sheep, and that's not a bad thing. That's not a derogatory thing, thing, but it's true that if we aren't listening for the voice of the shepherd, we will never learn the shepherd's voice. And if we don't know the shepherd's voice, which voice do we respond to? If we are going to recognize and live into the beneficial goodness of the Good Shepherd. We have to hear His voice and we have to listen to it. Number two, if we want to live into the beneficial goodness of the Shepherd, we need to allow the Good Shepherd to guide our steps. One of the things that you do as parents is to guide your children into the ways that they should live. You know, you say, yes, ma'am, say, no, sir, say, please, say, thank you, and, you know, do your homework because that's what's asked of you. You know, follow through with the things that, that you are supposed to do, and you be a good student, and you pay attention, and, you know, do those things that are asked of you. I mean, you know, you try to guide your kids into making certain decisions in ways that are reflective of the character and values by which you want, but yet at the same time, do we lean into the guidance of the shepherd? Because one of the things that the sheep learn over time is that the shepherd will lead them from one pasture to another along a healthy or a safe pathway. You may not know this, sheep are really unsteady on their feet. 
that they are not the most graceful. They are not coordinated at all. And the heavier the wool coat, like right before they get sheared, the more unsteady and clumsy they become because of the weight that they carry. So what a shepherd learns is that the sheep need a steady and sure path by which to move from one pasture to another. And over time, the sheep learn that the shepherd is going to guide them along a good path. So when the shepherd says, come on, let's go, we're leaving, we're moving, starts calling them together and starts leading them down a pathway, the more times that's happened, the more the sheep trust the shepherd. Listen to these words from Psalm 32, 8. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway. Say that with me. Best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. I will advise you and watch over you. Now think about life. There have been times in all of our lives when we have faced a crossroad of a decision. And, and, and we know that if we go right, there's going to be certain implications of going right, and there's going to be certain implications of going left. And maybe it wasn't just a right or a wrong. Maybe it wasn't that clear cut. Like, I can see benefits of going right, and I can see benefits of going left. What, what the psalm writer says is that the Lord will lead you on the best pathway. Because isn't it true that if we're standing at a crossroad and right looks relatively flat and smooth and left looks relatively flat and smooth, we don't know what's around the next bend, do we not? We can't see into the future. We can't see into what's going to be a day from now, a week from now, a month from now, a year from now. Are we in a place that we're willing to trust the voice of the shepherd to lead us along not the right path, but the best path. Some of you here have a, have a certain moral ethic about you that you know certain things are right and wrong. So we're not necessarily talking about that. We're talking about what is best. Moms and dads, can I, can I speak to you for just a minute? I cannot imagine the pressure that you are under in the year 2023 as a parent. I, I cannot even begin to fathom that kind of pressure. But what I do know is that pressure comes at you from a lot of different directions. Opportunities for your kids come from a lot of different directions. And should I put my kid in this? And should I let my kid do that? And should I let my kid go over here? And should I let my kid have a cell phone? Should I let my kid not have a cell phone? Should I wait? You know, what year should, you know, should my boys start playing football? Should they play younger? Should they wait till later? Should I take on another travel team when they're already playing on another one? And, and, and should we take on another dance, you know, because they want to learn something else and we're are already going to dance so many days out of the week. You know, there's so many pressures that are exerted upon you, and depending on who you talk to, you get a different answer. You get a different opinion. You get a different idea. You get a different perspective. And I don't think there is anything that can put more pressure on a parent than, than listening to too many voices about what you should do with your children. 
Because at the end of the day, they're not somebody else's kids. They're your kids. You know your kids better than anybody else does. You know their tendencies. You know their personality. You know the things that they struggle with. You know the things that they're good at. You know the things they excel in. You know the things that they have to work at. And there are times that you can lean in to the goodness of the shepherd to, to make the ultimate best decision for your kids. And it doesn't matter what other people think. It doesn't matter what other people say. It doesn't matter that other people may, disappoint, may be disappointed. It doesn't matter that other people may be critical or gossipy or question uh, out loud to other people why you've made certain decisions. When you allow the voice of the shepherd to guide you in your parenting, you can stand on the confidence of God that he's leading you in the good direction for your kids. That's a long way to go to say, don't let the pressures of this world dictate what, you, what decisions you make when it comes to your sons and daughters. Don't let the pressures of this world buckle you on what you ultimately know to be good or right or best because you have listened to the voice of the shepherd. Number three, if we're going to really experience the beneficial goodness of the shepherd, we have to trust in the goodness of the shepherd. We don't just listen, we don't let him guide, but once he, once he lays out a direction, we trust that we are going in the right direction. Because look, unexpected hardship doesn't mean you're not on the right path. How many times do we embark on a decision and we go, well, I didn't know it was going to be hard. I didn't know it was going to be challenging. I thought everything was going to be easy. And as soon as hardship hits, we start to second guess whether or not God has us where he has led us. And so one of the things that we've got to do is, is learn to trust that when we have uh, uh, cleared out the clutter, we've cleared out the static, we've listened to the voice of God, when we are sure that it's the voice and he's guiding us in a certain direction, we then trust in the shepherd. This should say Psalm 34.8, not John 34.8, my apologies. Taste and see that the Lord is good. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. You see, when it says taste and see, that means put it to the test. Try it. Try God out. If he says, I'll guide you, and you've got a decision to make, seek his guidance. And if he gives you guidance, take that guidance and then trust that it was him that led you, that it wasn't your emotions, it wasn't somebody else's opinion, it wasn't society, it wasn't culture, it wasn't pressure, it wasn't anybody else other than the voice of the Lord to lead you in that direction. Trust that it's the voice of the shepherd. You see, when the sheep learn to trust the shepherd, they know the shepherd is there for their good. There is an ease that comes over the herd. They're not anxious 
They're not fretting. They're not running around wondering what's going to come at them next. I read a, I read a book, uh, and this guy was talking about how he, um, he had gotten a phone call from somebody wanting to sell their, their, their sheep. And so he made an appointment, and he, he arrived at the set time, and when he pulled up to where the land was, where the sheep were kept, all he could see was franticness. And he knew immediately that this was not a good shepherd, and this shepherd was making the right decision by moving on and doing something else. There was an anxiety, there was an anxiousness and a, and a fretting about that flock. How many times, and look, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not downplaying you know, people that, that, that struggle with levels of anxiety, but are there times that we can say, I'm anxious because I'm not trusting. I'm fretting because I'm not trusting. I am unsettled because I'm not trusting. I am afraid because I am not trusting. Sometimes we add to because we don't trust the voice of the shepherd. And that's why it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. If there's something that you need to trust God in because there's nowhere else you can go, there's nowhere else you can turn, then trust him. Lean in, listen to his voice, take the steps that he guides, and then trust that he's leading you along the right path. We're going to talk more about trust in October. I hope you'll be here for that. I'm looking forward to that series. But then, for us to um, really live into the beneficial goodness of the shepherd, we have to then rest in the goodness of the shepherd. We have to rest in the goodness of the shepherd. I want you to hear these words of Jesus. Because uh, again, let, let, let John uses seven I am statements of Jesus that capture Jesus' divinity in human form. And one of the statements that Jesus makes is, I am the good shepherd. I mean, that's an I am statement. That's a definitive statement of, about Jesus talking about who he is. And listen to what he says. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Now, don't raise your hand when I ask you this question. How many of you have come in here today weary? How many of you have come in here carrying a heavy burden? If you answered no to those, you are lying to yourself. Because we all have a certain burden or a certain number of burdens that we carry. Some of them we've brought on ourselves. A lot of them we haven't. And a lot of us are weary because life is hard. And it doesn't matter how comfortable we try to make things for us or our kids. Life is hard. Life is going to have certain things that make us weary, and we're going to carry those heavy burdens. But Jesus said, come to me, and I'll give you rest. Then he goes on, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle. At heart, you will find rest for your soul. He didn't say your body. He didn't say your mind. He didn't say your heart. 
He said, your soul. What is the one thing about us when we are in a relationship with God that needs the most rest? It's the soul. Because if the soul is troubled, then isn't everything else? If the soul is weary, isn't everything else? If the soul is burdened down, isn't everything else? But yet, isn't it remarkable that God has designed us in such a way that if the soul is at rest, it doesn't matter what we face with the rest of us? That we can endure, we can carry, we can face, we can get through, we can push forward, we can move forward, we can do what God would have us to do. And he says it again, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Now, in the Hebrew um, belief, the Jewish belief, the yoke was the teaching of a rabbi. It wasn't just a farm implement, you know, to put your animals together when you're going to plow. Uh, they used that same terminology for the teaching of the rabbi. So if you went to a certain synagogue and you sat under a certain rabbi, then you were to take their yoke upon yourself, which means their teaching, their interpretation of scripture is what you took upon yourself. In a lot of ways, it's not that different of what we do with a lot of our churches today. But what was happening when Jesus came onto the scene is that there are uh, teachings of the rabbis that were burdensome because they had so infiltrated, uh, they had so let uh, behavior and law infiltrate their teaching that it wasn't something that gave life to the soul, it took life from the soul. Because it had gotten so crazy that you could only take so many steps on a Sunday, and if you took more than that many steps on a Sunday, then you were violating the Sabbath, and if you violated the Sabbath, God was angry at you, and if God was angry at you, then God God may punish you. Try living under that yoke. Did I take seven steps or nine? Tell me, was it seven or nine? Don't tell me you don't know. Our future could depend on seven or nine, right? I mean, that, 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 that's how much that kind of belief can, can infiltrate and make our souls burdened. And we've done the same thing in American evangelical Christianity. How many times have we made our church experience about behavior and we've preached about behavior and talked about behavior and focused on behavior that if you don't have the right behavior, then you're not good enough, you're not Christian enough, and if you don't have the right behavior, we're not only going to call out the behavior, we're going we're to ostracize you from our fellowship because you don't have the right behavior. And what we have forgotten is that Jesus said, look, love the Lord your God with all you have and love me. That's it. Everything else will shake itself out. It's not that hard. We make it harder than it is. So Jesus said, if you take that upon me because I'm gentle and humble, you'll find rest for your soul. We have too often times um, tried to control the future and manufacture comfort and call that rest. Doesn't work. 
because we don't know the future and we don't know what will happen tomorrow. We're always plagued with second guessing and wondering, like, have I done the right thing? Have I done enough? Have I done a good enough job? Have I done the right thing? Did I, did I do this wise enough? Did I do this good enough? Rather than resting in the person of God. You see, what that means is good is not about getting every item on your prayer list answered. Good doesn't mean that everything that will happen to you will be good, but what it means is that there is a presence of a good shepherd who will speak, who will guide, who will sustain, and who will give you rest, even when everything isn't good out here. There's that tension again. I'm living in an uncertain season of life, but I'm at rest. I don't know what the future holds, but I'm at rest. I don't know what tomorrow will bring. I don't know the outcome. I don't know what's going to happen, but I am at rest. That's not willpower. That's not self-talk. That's not a manufactured type of fake pseudo rest. That is learning to dwell in the presence of the good shepherd who pursues you with goodness, will bring good if you will seek and listen and follow and trust. That's how we answer that God is good. That even when the wheels feel like they're falling off of your life, God does good things in you, through you, by you, and sometimes for you. And that pursuit of goodness never stops. God is relentlessly pursuing you right now for that hurt, that pain, that question, that wondering, that, 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 that longing, whatever it is that is your burden, whatever it is that is weary, wearisome for you, whatever is heavy for you, the good shepherd is relentlessly pursuing you because he wants good for you. And like so many things in our spiritual life, if you let him bring it, if you let the goodness catch you, if you let him catch up, if you stop long enough, sit still long enough, be quiet long enough, let the good catch up. Let the pursuit catch you. This is not a horror movie where you are in constant running from the evil that is pursuing. This is where we stop and dwell in the pursuit of the goodness of our God. The goodness of our Good Shepherd. Will you let him catch you? Would you bow your head? Some of you in this room may have been running from God for a lot of reasons. Running because you're angry, running because you haven't known where else to go, running because you believe God to be an angry and vindictive God. 
You've run because you've wanted to live life your own way. You've run because you don't want anybody telling you what to do. But can you see that by trusting and listening to the Good Shepherd, good can come for you. Good is available to you. Are you willing to reach out to the Good Shepherd, Jesus, today? Are you ready to call out to Him and allow Him into your life? If so, I want to lead you in a prayer. And this is a prayer that you pray in your mind, you pray in your heart. God is going to hear this prayer. If, if you feel something tugging at your heart to open it up, that's, that's the Holy Spirit. That's, that's God wanting to come in. Won't you let Him today? Pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I see that you are good and you desire good for me. Jesus, today I stop running from you. I'm going to allow you to bring good into my life. Jesus, I thank you for being the good shepherd. I thank you for dying on the cross. I thank you for forgiving me of my sins and rising again on the third day. I want to experience life as you intended it to be. Jesus, come into my life. I'm yours. And I don't know what all that entails, but from this day forward, I will seek you. I will listen for you. I will follow you. For you are the good shepherd. I pray in Jesus' name. Now with every head still bowed and every eye still closed, there's a couple of ways that you can respond if you prayed to receive Christ today. One is to fill out that connection card that Pastor Thomas mentioned earlier, and you can drop that in the offering boxes that are located at both exits from this room. They're black on a stand. You can slide it in there. Or you can speak to me after the service. But don't leave without giving a voice to that prayer that you prayed. Share it with somebody before you leave. And now, those of you that have been a believer for a while, have you been running from the good also? Where is God speaking to you for, for you to slow down and listen, to trust, to let Him guide I want to give you a few moments to just pray over that with the Father. Respond in what He's leading you to do or how to respond to what you've heard today. Just take a few moments and then I'll close. Father, that we would live in the sure confidence of your goodness. That we would stand firmly 
on your desire to bring nothing but good into our lives. That you would help us to see beyond good just being an outcome or being something easy. But good is your presence, your guidance, your spirit. Father, that we would rest in you. Thank you, God, for your ultimate goodness and that you show that to us in so many ways. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.